Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Meet Cute podcast about love, romance and dating and how the relationships we've had influence and inform the people we've become. I'm your host Rosemary McCabe, a journalist, writer and yes, podcaster. My memoir, This Is Not About You, is a life story told in dates, dalliances and deep romances and in writing it I started to wonder what if I could interview other people about their past relationships? What would I discover about how their romantic histories influence them and how much could I get them to disclose? This week's guest is Ashley C. Ford, an author and writer from Fort Wayne, Indiana, whose own memoir, Somebody's Daughter, is a New York Times bestseller. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. I thought I would chat to a series of different people about their past relationships, what they've meant to them, what they have meant to the people they've become. And having read your book, Somebody's Daughter, you occurred to me as somebody who might have a lot to say about a previous relationship. Can you tell me a little bit about your attitude to dating and romance? Are you somebody who was always very keen on meeting somebody or was it not important to you? Um, I, I would say that I have been in relationship probably since I turned 14 years old or so. I have been more years in a relationship than out of one. But I would also say that those relationships tended to last a long time. I wasn't necessarily a serial monogamist because I always had pretty big gaps between those relationships of, you know, years, more than weeks or days or months. I have always been a romantic. Love has always been a thing that was of great interest and 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 of great desire <laughs> to me and i've learned a lot about love um over the course of my lifetime over the course of uh my relationships different kinds of relationships and each each person i dated has taught me a lot about love but who i am within the relationship has changed a lot i sometimes feel like i don't have enough data to know what it's like to date me because I have done so little actual dating. Talk more about that. Well, I, my first real boyfriend, like the first boy where it was like, I like you, you like me, we are boyfriend and girlfriend, everybody knows we're boyfriend, you know, like that whole thing was really uh, the boyfriend I had my freshman year of high school. His name is Brett. And Brett and I, dated until I was 20. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're serious when you say long relationships. Long relationships. That was like my first real boyfriend. And that was how long our relationship 
was. And then I started seeing someone again when I was 21, and that was off and on, but it was bad. Um, and it was it was my first time that I was in a relationship with someone that I thought that I realized that there are a lot of ways to hurt a person in a relationship. Before that, I always just kind of felt like all I need you to do is like be nice to me, don't don't hit me, don't physically hurt me, you know, mm. things like that. Anything else I can probably, you know, work with as long as he's funny and smart, you know, like yeah. I, I can I'm sure there's material there, right? And this relationship was the first one where I realized like, oh no, that's that's not enough if someone's if someone is still mean. Yeah. And if they're mean to other people, they'll eventually be mean to you. And it was a couple of years after that relationship that I got with my current husband, um, who was not supposed to be long term. I definitely was trying to do like the just be involved with someone in a very physical way mm-hmm. who doesn't get on your nerves <laughs> and, you know, no commitments, no real dating, none of that stuff. Um, and then he turned around and pursued me really, really hard. And that, I mean, like, that's the kind of dater I am. It's like, what's going on around me? It's very reactive, more so than proactive. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a pattern that we see in a lot of women, actually. Mm-hmm. Often it feels like you don't really have the, not the choice, but you don't have the autonomy to really pursue men because you're waiting to see who has an interest in you rather than yes. the other way around sometimes. So the yes. bar ends up being kind of startlingly low at times. Mm-hmm which, I mean, we can only hope that in future generations it will get better, but... Let's hope. <laughs> maybe not in, in the current America, but hopefully in mm. the next one that we see. Let's do you hope. think... there are, are there any similarities between the men you've dated? Like, do you have a type? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't date dummies. <laughs> I have dated... You know, at this point, I've dated kind men. I've dated mean men. I've dated straight men. I've dated gay men, apparently, you know, like I've dated all kinds of men with all kinds of backgrounds, a little bit of money, no money, middle-class, like working class, impoverished. Like I've done all of that, all of it. But the thing that is always the same is that they're just not dumb. (laughs) They're, they're smart guys and they're funny guys in most cases. Um, I, I can't, I think I grew up in a family that made me laugh and that was so much a sign of our love for each other that it is really hard for me to feel love in a relationship where we can't laugh and laugh a lot. So yeah, that that's one of the biggest similarities between them all is that, you know, there's gotta be a level for me of admiration. Uh-huh. Um, my first boyfriend, Brett, was just brilliant at everything he did, right? Like he was a golden boy, everything he touched. He was number one in his class, you know, like, and then he was also in band and he was in theater and he played tennis and he won a scholarship for photography. And he was just, he could do anything. He just ended up being a leader in anything he did. And I loved that about him. 
you know? And then my second boyfriend who ended up being kind of mean was also like a really funny comedian, you know, and was a really great comedic writer. And I loved that because I had, you know, some natural comedy chops or whatever, and I did a little bit of comedy, but he was focused on it, you know, Mm. as a craft, as a career in a way that I wasn't. And I loved that about him. And I admired, you know, his, what felt like his drive to continue to do it, you know? And my husband, geez Louise, like he's, my, my husband taught me how to be loved, really. He taught me how to let somebody love me because he's so good at that. <laughs> he is a, a brilliant poet. He has read more books than anybody else I know. He knows so much about about history and, and honestly, like geography and he he knows so many things and and how to do things and and facts about things and i admire that in him um so that's basically how i also know when a relationship is nearing its end or when it's over is when i don't admire them anymore you mentioned there that your husband taught you how to be loved because it's something that he's really good at mm-hmm. where do you think we learn how to love how to show love to other people. Where and how do you think we learn that? We learn that from a combination of the definitions of love that we encounter from other people and the behavior that gets called loved in our own community. I think that that's how we come up with like what it's like to be loved or what it looks like to be loved or what it feels like to be loved. You know, in my Mm. family... Um, being hugged and kissed on and stuff like that as kids would have felt more weird. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because that just wasn't a way that we were loved on. My mom didn't do a whole lot of that. My mom didn't just, you know, kiss us or put her arms around us and hug us and like rock us, you know, like she didn't really touch us like that. Like she didn't, so that was never really conflated um, with love for me. But the thing is, is like, it was conflated with desire, like of some sense, because once I got to a point, um, where I could hug people and be close to people and not be worried that my mom would find out about it and think it was weird. I kind of went ham. Like I would hug anybody. I would hold anybody. (laughs) Like I would let anybody hold me, you know, really, because, I was sort of, I didn't recognize it at this time, but I was kind of touch deprived. Like I was kind of like touch starved and I didn't know that. But, you know, my definition of love because of the way my family was, was more, more in line with like codependence. Like love was just like being there for each other, no matter what, no matter what you do. And certainly no matter what you do to me right? Love is sticking around anyway. It's showing up anyway. It's making sure you're okay anyway. It's caring about you anyway, you know? And it was a, it was kind of a a really messed up (laughs) view of love that I got. And I think my husband got something, um, that was much closer to, uh, true or much closer to the kind of love that feels good in general, um, which was a lot more affectionate, a lot more, um, encouraging, a lot more supportive. Um, he has a kind of love that shows up, 
And I didn't have that kind of love before him. Nobody really showed up for me. And how did you unlearn those lessons that you had taken on from your childhood and your family about what it means to love and be loved? Like, mm. how did you get past that? Um, by learning how to be honest with myself about what I was feeling for real. Um, learning how to name my feelings. Because at first, uh, I would just say like, no, I don't, I don't like being loved. I don't like being touched that way. I don't like feeling that way. It's not good for me. It doesn't feel good. You know, I'm just not that kind of person, right, is what I would say. And then I had to think about that and be like, what does that mean? I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what does that actually mean that this hurts so much or feels so bad or, you know, is so like, is that true? And when I sat and asked myself if that was true, I realized that when somebody touched me or kissed me or held me, my natural first reaction was to lean into it, was to fall into that hug or that or that kiss or that touch. Like that's what I wanted to do. And then I would have a second thought and I would catch myself. And that's where the frustration and the hesitation would come in. And I'm like, okay, well, what's triggering that? What, why is it at first the most beautiful, comfortable thing in the world? And then I'm rigid and like, what's going on? And recognizing that it's because physical affection was so rare when I was growing up that if I was being touched in any way, it was not a good thing. <laughs> like it was a bad thing if I was being touched. If I was being touched, I was in trouble for the most part you know, in some capacity. And so even though I know in my brain right now, I'm not in trouble, like nothing bad is happening. This is lovely. This is really nice. My body is like, oh, that's nice. No, wait a minute. That means you're in mm -hmm. trouble. That means something bad is happening. Look for the bad. Look for the bad. Look for it right now. Where is it? Where is it coming from? How are you in danger right now? And I had to figure out how do how do I how do I let myself have what I want? Well, because I want to be held and I want to be touched and I want to be loved on. But I can't let myself have it. That's what I had to change. That's what I had to unlearn. Is like the layers of like why of not just like fear of like, am I in danger? But then also comes the fear of, do I want it too much? Do I want it more than the person who is offering me the affection? Am I now clingy? Am I now needy? Because not only have I not been used to getting this kind of affection, I also haven't had the practice to be able to process it. So it's like, there's part of my brain going, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm feeling good correctly <laughs> because it is rare. It's so complex, isn't it? Like all of these processes that are so going through our complex. brains. It's wild. So it's it's still a process. It's still a process of figuring out um, how do I give myself more room instead of trying to put up walls quickly whenever I get a hint of something that reminds me of danger or unsafety of some kind. To switch, I guess, to something that seems to make you feel safe. Mm -hmm. Where did you meet your husband? 
We met in college. Um, it was very interesting because I always say, oh, we met in college. So people always think like we were like 21 or 20 or something like that. But it's like, no, we met in college, but I had been in college for a while. <laughs> and like, yeah, he was 21, <laughs> but I was 25. Right. And I, he seemed fun. He was so smart and so fun and totally adorable. And I just thought like, this is a situation where I do admire this person. I do think that they're a really great person, but I am in no danger of falling in love because he's a lot, right? Like he's a party <laughs> boy and I am not a party girl. Like Kelly was like that re- weird mix of like guy where you could you could trust him to communicate with you, to be straight with you if you guys had any sort of an arrangement or an agreement, you could expect and assume that he would follow that to the T. He did not ever agree to anything he didn't want to do, right? At this point in his life. Mm-hmm. So it was, so I felt safe in that, like, I wasn't going to get blindsided. Nothing was going to come at me from around the corner, you know, like it was going to be right there. But I also felt like I knew what the score was, right? Yeah. He's a young guy, get like just starting out living his life, doing his thing. Um, and then he got an internship in New York. And we were both in Indiana at the time because we went to Ball State together. Um, He got an internship in New York. He left for New York. Um, I left to move to Indianapolis uh, to just do some work with nonprofits and like freelance work. He ended up moving to Seattle after he came back from his internship. And he was there for a year. We were just friends, you know, Uh that whole time. To the point that when he sort of made his move toward me for us to be together, I was completely confused. Just so confused. Like, I thought we had gone to the just friends thing. Like, I just, I had had no idea he was interested in me. And then I afterwards realized that there were multiple times I should have gotten the hint. Like at one point I was, you know, Kelly was this person who talked about traveling all the time, loved to travel, um, had done quite a bit of traveling um, up until that point. And I was telling him at one point when I was living in Indianapolis and he was in Seattle that I was thinking about moving to Denver, you know, and I thought that it might be really cool to like, I had a friend there with an extra room. What if I like just picked up and, and, and moved and started a new form of my life? Like what could be so hard? What could be so different, you know, than what I'm doing now? And he was totally against it. And I, I was shocked at the time because I was like, I can't believe you're not like being like, yeah, you should go do it or whatever. And he just kept being like, I don't think you should go. I don't think you should move to Denver. I don't think you should do it. And I was like, why? Like it was it was really strange to me. And it was only um a couple months after that happened <laughs> where I was talking about moving to Denver <laughs> that he uh came back to visit his parents in Indiana <laughs> and ended up coming to see me and told me that he loved me and that he wanted to be with me and that he understood if I needed some time 
to grapple with that and decide what I wanted. But he wanted to tell me now where he stood and he would just, you know, accept whatever my response was. This is and very I, 1980s movie. I'm imagining it with a boombox outside your window making this he declaration. Did, he did not have a boombox. But it, <laughs> I mean, there was this moment, right, where he like he pulls up, right? And I'm and he and I know he's coming and I'm excited to see him, but he's my friend, you know. Of course uh-huh. I'm excited to see my friend. But I open my front door and he's standing on my porch with a smoke and a cigarette. He puts that cigarette out and he walks up to me and he kisses me. And I'm like, Okay. And then after he finishes kissing me, he looks at me and he goes, are you seeing anybody? (laughs) I love that he asked that after. Right. And I was like, no, you know, and that's kind of how things happened with us. But it very much happened like him pursued, like he came after me. And that was the first time I'd ever had a situation like that, which is also how I found out after a while, also that's that's how I found out that he uh, he did not know that my friend Trent, who I was going to be moving in with in Denver, was gay. He and the whole time he definitely thought when I was telling him about this Trent guy that I was like moving in with some guy. Okay, and he was just like ah ah. And then he just couldn't, you know, and he was talking to his roommate about it. And he was like, oh, man, I think she's going to move in with this guy. And I, 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 something about it. I just don't like it. And the guy was like, oh, because you love her. And he was like, no, where, you know, and he was like, no, you love her. You've never dated anybody the whole time we live in Seattle. And every time you, I come home from being out, you're on the phone talking with her. You just, you love her. And then he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> This is too cute. And what was, I mean, do you think if you had, I mean, I know this is kind of a sliding doors question. No, it's Do you okay. think if you had said to him, no, you know what? I don't see you like that. We're just friends. Would your friendship have survived, I wonder? Yeah, I think so. I, for a while, you know, I think that, um, I don't think Kelly is the kind of guy that gets crushes very often. And over the course of his life, you know, he may have had like interests here and there, but like a, but like an actual, oh my God, crush. Uh I don't think that happened to him very often. And I think it would have been very hard for him. Um, But I think he would have tried. I do think he would have tried. But I still think it would have been really hard for him, especially if it had gotten to a point where I was like seeing someone else. I think it would have been really easy for him to be my friend as long as I was single. But I think as soon as I was with someone else, like properly in a relationship, he would have struggled. Um, And probably I would have struggled, you know, because my feelings were clearly not gone. They weren't dead. Uh I had just sort of Whenever I think something's not an option, I just turn it off. <laughs> yeah. I just turn it off. Um, that was easier back then when I was a lot more detached. I don't think that I have that ability anymore. Which is, I mean, I can see how and when it would be useful, but yeah. it's probably a lot more positive to actually <sighs> feel your feelings and deal with them, even if it's a lot more challenging. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, God, it's exhausting being human. It is. 
people don't understand. It's like, I get it. Like, whenever I'm like having one of those moments where somebody's doing or saying something wild in public, and I'm like, man, if that person could just learn how to communicate their feelings, we would not be dealing with them as like a public scourge or like, you know, a nuisance or like something harmful or dangerous. It's like, wow, if you could communicate, that would be so great. And they can't, right? But I also know how much of my ability to communicate my feelings and emotions and process them has been greatly, greatly encouraged by the circumstances of my life at this point in my life. You know? Yeah, I can... It. It's really easy to go to the bad place and feel that feeling and process it when you know you have the rest of the day to yourself and like... All you're going to have to do maybe is like, I don't know, take a bath, do some reading. It's like you then you can definitely scrounge up the energy to move forward and to process. When you've got kids waiting for you, when you've got work, 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 work uh-huh. waiting for you, that bosses are hanging over your head being like, where's the work? Where's the work? Where's the work? Oh, yeah. I don't know how you would get to a good place of like being in like communication and reflection with yourself emotionally. I don't know how you'd maintain it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have less and less space, right? You have. Yes. Because when you're on your own and you're dealing with your feelings, you have the whole room of your mind to explore. Yes. And then when you have kids, they're in one corner yes. like, on the Xbox and like fuck up your bookshelves. <laughs> yes. And then you have your boss in the other corner and then you have your, you know, financial stresses yes. or like all these different things taking up space and you then have less and less and less space to process yourself. Yes. That is absolutely yeah. true. So I just don't, like, even as I am really happy for me and what I have, you know, had the the privilege of time, space, and support to be able to get to emotionally, been able to work through emotionally, uh, I, I still, like, I don't know how you could work through all that and then look at other people with a lot of judgment or look at other people with a lot of, like, well, what are you doing? Why don't you just feel your feelings? It's like, you don't recognize how hard it was for you to feel your feelings, even though you had the money and the time and the no kids and all that stuff. Yeah, like something in me would be broken by now. A lot of the things that people like about me or think are so like great about me or whatever, it would have it would have been broken in me by now if I had not gotten extremely lucky in a certain sense. There's luck and then there's I think the luck part is kind of equal to the effort and the work part, right? Yeah. You're you're lucky in that not everybody has these opportunities, but you also took the opportunities and and took the help and took the space that you needed. I absolutely, yes, agree with that. I just think that with a little more luck, you know, I think that there are a lot more people working hard than people getting lucky. Oh, 100%. So even the fact that my work hard got to meet some luck is luck (laughs) Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, it's so rare. And there are so many people working hard and getting unlucky. And getting unlucky all the time. Over and over again. Over and over. And, you know, those are the times when the lucky ones 
are supposed to spread the luck a little bit. They're supposed to share the luck. Yeah. Yeah, but now you're sounding like a socialist and that's very un-American. Oh, not a socialist. This is what I've learned since being here. Not a socialist. Listen, <laughs> I, I am not of the generation that is so afraid <laughs> the red scare for me is history, not reality. Okay, like I am, fuck that. Fuck that. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And you can attach ideology, you can attach labels and uh, identifiers to, you know, whatever I say or whatever, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm a human being and you can't take that away from me. And your attempts to take it away are inhumane. And I'm not a dummy. I am very, very good at communicating to the people, not to power. So when power comes against me, my way of dealing with that usually is to translate for the people what the power is attempting to do in that moment. Like, here we go, people. Let This is a great way for me to show you the intimidation tactics of a political class that would rather see you divided than united and working against the power destabilizer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, like, that's all they want. So let me show you how they're doing it using myself as an example, right? And people don't like that. They don't like that that happens. They don't like that that exists. I could give a fuck. At the end of the day, I have to be me. And if I've got a little bit of power and a little bit of privilege, I should be thinking about the equal responsibility that I have to my community and to my fellow man in that moment. So if I'm a person with a lot less to lose, I'm sorry, I don't have to make sure anybody's kid has health care. I don't have to, I don't have a mortgage. (laughs) Okay. Like I don't have those things. So if I if I have the kind of freedom that so many people don't get to enjoy um, and that can temper their ability to speak out and to say what is true and what is necessary to say, then it's my responsibility to say those things and to come against the people who would try to fit me under easy labels because they don't like the content of my opinions, that don't bother me because it's not a whole lot you can take from me. What you going to do? Take all my money? Take it. I got food and I can grow food and I got friends and I got family. You know, what are you, what are you going to take from me? Oh, I can't publish books anymore. Baby, this is the age of the internet. I could publish anything I want. They might not publish my books anymore, but we can publish some books. We can, we can say some stuff. You know, I, I'm I'm never going to be a person who holds back simply because of the possibility of material loss. That's not going to work on me. That's why I don't work in a lot of spaces because <laughs> I already know yeah. what the deal is there. Why set myself up? It's like I work where the love is. I think I probably know the answer to this, but would you ever consider becoming a politician? No. Mm-mm. No. Do you think it's not possible to change the system from within, like that particular system? I have a hard time imagining using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Um, I think that a lot of people who are much smarter 
than me and much closer um, to the heart and the core of the issues have tried that tactic um, for hundreds of years at this point. Um, And I would like to imagine that the tools that I need in order to put a put a a crack in the wall the way that I can only put a crack in that wall are the tools that will come from me paying attention, um, listening to people, doing necessary research, and also that like reflection where you really ask yourself about why you're doing stuff (laughs) and what Mm -hmm. it really means to you and how it really feels to you. I think within those practices, I will find a unique way to make my my crack in the wall against, you know, that kind of establishment. But I just don't, I think sometimes in order to be a politician, you kind of have to think I'm the one, you know, like you kind of have to think I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the one who's going to get this done. I'm the one who's going to change it. And I have a lot of resistance to thinking of myself in any capacity as like the only one or like the one who could get it done. I would rather always see myself as part of like a push as part of a a block of people, a wall of people who, who push against something that it's like, you're going to have your unique crack in the wall. He's going to have his unique crack in the wall. They're going to have their unique crack in the wall and all of them together. That's how we're going to bring down the wall. You know, my crack doesn't have to be taller than yours. It doesn't have to be in the middle. Yeah. And I think once you start thinking, I'm the one, mm-hmm. I'm the one who can get it done. That's a perfect example of why you shouldn't be the yeah. one. You know what I mean? You're, you're actually not the one, but you have to think that in order to do it. But then if you think that you shouldn't do it. like so, Because it's-, it's part of the job of the politician is you have to go out there and tell people, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one in so many words. And I, 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 I try not to apply for jobs that I know I could be good at, but that I don't believe in. Yeah. And I think that that's one of those jobs. I think that I am a very persuasive person. I don't have to lie lie about myself. I know these things about myself. I know I'm very persuasive. I know that I'm very likable. I know that people like to hear me talk. And I know that people listen when I explain things. You know, those are some fantastic skills to bring with you into the job of being a politician, of becoming a politician. Uh But then there is the work of being a politician that has nothing to do with the people, nothing to do with the work, nothing to do with the job. And that that PR part, that um, the spectacle part of it, I can do as well. And I can do well, but it doesn't feel good to me. And I'm, I'm kind of, if I can avoid it, I'm not doing things anymore that don't feel good to me in my body. I don't think it's serving anyone or helping anyone for me specifically to do things that don't feel good to me. Because I know for somebody else, all parts of being that politician, except for like the terrible ones, I know there's somebody out there who that really appeals to them and it feels good in their body. And I just, I, I think, I don't think that every person who that's true for is also like so susceptible to corruption and blah, 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 or whatever. I think they, 
are working in an impossible system. Uh-huh. And what am I going to do at a job in an impossible system? Because I don't have it in me to pretend that this isn't impossible. I will show up the first day and go, this is impossible. This is impossible. <laughs> we know that, right? Like, I don't need us to like fix it today, but I would like us to acknowledge that this is impossible and also maybe have someone confirm that we're working toward a solution. Right? Nobody wants yeah. that. <laughs> no, I think very quickly you'd be like, Ashley, you're ruining the you're morale. You're ruining the morale. We can't get anything done. We won't get anything done anyway. We were going in circles anyway. So let's make it better now so that the next time we do something, it actually means something. Wouldn't that be great? But like, I would never be the person who was allowed to make those decisions. People would never let me be the person who makes those decisions. And I'm okay. I don't don't think that I should be the only one making those decisions. I think that um, if the things I think are true and right are are meant to be true and right as a as a general consensus, then they will be. Yeah, I I hope you're correct. I've watched it true. happen. I've watched it happen. I've been on the internet for a long time. I remember when somebody talking about being in therapy online would mean that several people would be like, "Oh, they crazy. They talking about being in therapy. Yeah, yeah. They got a therapist, you know, yeah. whatever." And now everybody talks about being in therapy. Everybody knows the word boundaries. And to the point that now everybody's sick of it. And they're all like, are we going too far with therapy? Are we going too far with boundaries? We just got here. If people are going too far, it's because they didn't get enough in the first place. And that's what happened. You swing too far in one direction and you swing back. It's just like the kid Uh who goes to college that everybody knows they were so sheltered when they were under their parents' thumb. And as soon as they get to college, they wow out and they swing way too far in the other direction. That's going to happen with anything that you finally let Uh into mainstream conversation anything. So it's like, just talk about it. Just talk about it. If we could just talk to each other about things instead of judging how we're talking about them with and to each other, that would that would make me very happy. Yeah, it would make, it would make a big difference. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's just circle back for a second to my pure online wants to know, like, so Kelly's on your porch. He's finished his cigarette. He's told you he loves you. 
did you guys move in together then? Did it just go from zero to a hundred? Like, no. What happened next? No, it actually, it went like, you know, he shows up and he kisses me and he tells me that, you know, he's in love. Well, before that happened, we definitely slept together. And then he tells me that he you know, is in love with me. And he, like, there's a lot of conversation. At one point, he reads me a poem that he memorized after it reminded him of me. It was gorgeous. It was wonderful, you know. I, and then he had to leave um, because he, because he, you know, under the guise of coming back to visit his parents, so they would pay for his ticket to come back. Um, he had to actually, he had go to visit actually go see them, and he went um, hunting with his dad. And before he left, you know, he told me, "Just think about it. You know, I don't need an answer anytime soon. I don't need you to commit to me. I just want you to think about what I said." And I said, "Okay." And about two days later. I sent him a text. I knew he was still hunting. And I sent him a text and I said, um, I have been thinking and I um I, I would wanna I wanna talk to you too, you know, like I think we should talk about this. Like I, I have good feelings about it. I have good feelings about you, you know, so I just think we should talk about it more when you get back. And then about an hour later I got a text that said I told my dad I had to leave. <laughs> And then he he showed up and, you know, it was just, it was like, it wasn't like zero to a hundred because we were still long distance. You know, he still lived in Seattle. I still lived in Indianapolis. Uh, so it wasn't zero to a hundred in terms of like interaction all the time, but it was certainly zero to 100 in terms of like his commitment. Like it was immediate. Like in a way that I feel like I was still sort of like filling out, like, what does he really mean by, you know, he's in love with me or he wants to be with me? Like, what does that really mean? Does it mean everything I want it to mean? Or does it just mean some definition he's come up with in his head? But then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm getting care packages from him. And it's like he has money, you know, they're like, the care packages are like, you know, comics he'll think I like from like his own collection, things he's picked up for me around Seattle, little like trinkets, you know, like little things. Um, At some points, yeah, poems that he wrote about me for me that were wonderful poems. Uh, (laughs) And it was just like, oh, wow, like he's really he's really doing this. And I felt like, holy shit, for the first time in my life, I'm in a relationship with somebody who I feel like is better at this than me. He's better at this than me, at being with a person and showing up for them and being attentive and being curious about them. He was so much better at it than I was initially. And it, you know, I, I ended up saying something to him at a certain point. I think it was after like a Valentine's Day or something. He had sent me things. And it, like I said, it's like expensive things. They're just so thoughtful and so much more than like I would be. And we had this conversation where I said, like, I feel like I can't keep up. Like, I feel like I, I like I can't. You do something and then I'm, I'm like, okay, so what do I do? And I can't match it, you know? And he said why are you trying to score points against somebody on the same team? 
we're on the same team. Every point is our point. Wow. And he's right. He's like, yeah. Why, why didn't I think of that? Right. And I mean, so then I'm extra like, why didn't I think of it? Like, I'm supposed to be the one, you know? I was so used to being in so many ways, like the almost, I guess, like the emotional leader of the relationship. That I was completely unprepared to be in a relationship with somebody who was more emotionally mature than me in a lot of ways. At, at, At the beginning, absolutely more emotionally mature than me in a lot of ways and me not knowing how to meet that, you know, or what it looked like when I was that person, when I was the the person who was being soft and, and tender and, and vulnerable, you know, well, it was tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you could go back now, what one piece of advice would you give yourself Mm-hmm. as a younger woman in terms of dating and love and romance I mean aside from with the benefit of hindsight like go and find this man you know go and find him but what would you give yourself I would tell myself that if you start right now practicing being really kind to yourself it will be a lot easier to accept kindness from the people who love you. Um, I just used to think I was just kind of hard on the outside. And I, I wasn't hard on the outside. I was, I was scared on the inside, you know? And in order to get past that or to, to move forward um, from that with it in mind, um, I had to learn how to be really, really kind to myself because um, it is really hard to feel like you deserve what you wouldn't accept from yourself. It's really, really, really hard. You might get it and you might be excited about it, but it's really hard for it to feel good. You need some practice knowing how to feel good about you. And, And you're kind of the only one who can give yourself the right kind of practice for that especially once we're adults. Yeah. Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Where can people follow you, read your work? Um, Well, I have a website, ashleyc4.com. I also am on Instagram at smashfizzle, on Twitter at ismashfizzle. I'm on TikTok as a lurker, but if you find me, you can follow me. And that's pretty much it. Are you tempted to start TikToking or are you happy to remain a lurker? I probably make a video about once a month, but it's nice to collect. It's it's more fun that way for me. Mm. Anyway, it's like you make a video and it maybe does something, it maybe doesn't, and that's totally fine. Um, you kind of don't want it to do anything because it's almost more fun that way. You just get to make the video and have fun. I find that TikTok for me feels the way uh, Twitter used to. In the beginning, um, yeah, in the old, in the, day, old the old and golden days, days you of could Twitter, just like where you could just be playing, and I, I love to play. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed Meet Cute, it would really help if you would subscribe wherever you're listening to this and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
My other podcast, Not Without My Sister, is available wherever podcasts are listened to, and you can read my writing at rosemarymccabe.substack.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 